Today's scripture reading is from the book of James, chapter 5. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who are new, welcome. My name is Chris, and I serve as the lead pastor here. We are excited that you're here. Uh, and if there are any ways that we can get you further connected to First City, we'd love to be able to do that. So just as by way of added welcome, uh, know that we are a church community that no matter where you are in your faith journey, whether you're someone who's confident in your faith, looking for a church home, whether you're somebody who has lots of questions, you're unsure, you're wrestling through those things, or maybe you wouldn't profess faith at all, uh, but you're here, you're curious, you're interested, uh, wherever you are, know that we would love to welcome you further into this community. And so if there are ways we can pray for you, uh, meet practical needs, answer questions, just get to know you, uh, we would love to be able to do that. So please uh, reach out, connect to us, grab me after the service, happy to meet you, and uh, just to hear more of your story. And so uh, know that that's our heart. Uh, we want you to know the grace of God and the grace of Jesus, because that is what this church is about. Above everything else, we are about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. So if you have not turned in your Bibles yet to James chapter 5, please do so. We're going to be covering verses 7 through 12 uh, as Ian read for us. Uh, the title of my message this morning is this, What Are You Waiting For? What are you waiting for? And I think it is fair to say we could all use more patience, right? We could all use some more patience. That, that patience is something... We'd all acknowledge, yeah, I could grow in that. I don't think I have an abundance of patience. I have so much patience. I'm just the most patient person in the world. I've stood up on this stage and I've told you about my struggles with patience. I hate waiting. I really struggle with waiting. So it is definitely something that I know I uh, can grow in. But it's also one of those things where we're kind of afraid to ask God to help us grow in patience, right? It's that famous prayer, like ask God to give you patience and then sort of watch out, hold on. Because you know what's coming next. God's going to give you lots of reasons to be patient. And so it's something that we acknowledge, but at the same time, it's something that we're not always the most eager to grow in. But here's a question for us. Why? Why be more patient? Why is patience important? Patience is a virtue, as the saying goes. And we can acknowledge that patience both builds character and is a sign of character. And, you know, patience, it, it matures us, it, it anchors and it steadies our souls. 
Patience empowers us to be able to embrace difficulty and to see difficult situations through. Patience allows us to stick with something and not give up too quickly. Patience also allows us to develop deep relationships. Without patience, you realize it is impossible to have a deep relationship without patience. Why? Because we are all annoying. (laughs) We are sinners. We hurt people. We do things that could drive a wedge between us and other people. And so in order to have deep relationships with one another, we have to be patient with one another. We have to extend forgiveness and allow space for the other to grow. Patience recognizes that the most important things in life take time. And so because of patience, we can actually experience much good in the world. So whether you're here this morning and you're a Christian or not, I think we could all agree patience is a virtue. Patience is an important thing for us all to grow in. But let me ask the question again. Like, why be more patient? Why does patience matter? Because we can look at the good that it brings. We can look at all that it allows us to grow into and become. We can look at the ways that it allows relationships to grow and and flourish and thrive. But if that's all the further we go, listen, if that's all the further we go, then we're left with nothing more than self-reliant motivation and self-reliant power. Like if all we're looking at is sort of the material benefit of why be patient. Listen, your ability to be patient will bottom out pretty quickly. At best, at best, your sinful heart will take that virtue and it will twist it for selfish ends. And at worst, you will give up on patience the moment it gets overly difficult. And so we can acknowledge that patience is important. We can say, hey, here's the reasons why to be patient. But if all we have is self, then that reason is far too small. You see, self-reliant patience is not going to get us to the kind of deeply enduring patience that produces faithfulness to God that allows us to stand faithful and joyful and hopeful amidst hardship and conflict and suffering and even persecution. You see, that kind of patience, that kind of enduring patience, that requires something supernatural. That requires a supernatural reason and a supernatural power. And that's what James points us to this morning. James points us past merely self-reliant patience to a supernatural reason and a supernatural power for patience. James gives us an infinitely greater reason and power to be patient. And here it is. Here's the main point for us this morning. We patiently endure because Jesus is coming back. We patiently endure because Jesus is coming back. That's our reason. That's our power. And so let's, let's unpack this idea from these verses in James. Let me start by saying this, that Christ's second coming is a consistent and pervasive theme in the New Testament. Over 300 times the return of Christ is mentioned in the New Testament. 300 times. 24 of the 27 books in the New Testament explicitly mention the return of Christ in one way or another. And so James roots the Christian's patience in this reality that is so pervasive in the New Testament that Jesus is coming back. 
And so first he tells them in verse 7, be patient until the Lord's coming. So think of it this way. There is a quantity to our patience. Like there is a fixed time that is set in history that our patience is aimed at. There is a time where we're going to no longer have to be patient for this event because the Lord is coming. He is going to return. So there's a quantity. There's a, there's a time clock set on our patience. And James is saying, be patient until that time. There's a quantity. But more so than the quantity is the quality. James is pointing out what you're waiting for is something very specific. The Lord's return the quantity, but also the quality of our patience. And these two things are interrelated in some important ways. You see, the quantity of our patience should match the quality of what we're waiting for. So Mindy and I, we, we love visiting the Disney World theme parks. I, I am not ashamed to admit I love It's a Small World. Like, come on, haters, come at me, bro. Like, I, I have no problem admitting I love It's a Small World. Now, if you go to, to the Disney parks, they have this wonderful app that you can look at, and it shows you how long you have to wait for a particular ride. And so you can pull up a particular ride and go, oh, it's a 90-minute wait, or it's a 15-minute, or it's a three-hour wait. And so look, as much as I love It's a Small World, if it shows 90 minutes, look, I'm not waiting 90 minutes for It's a Small World. Like, no way. It's not worth it. The quantity of that time is not worth the quality of the ride. I don't want that song in my head that much. But if I look and I see Star Wars Rise of the Resistance is 90 minutes, you bet I'm going to that line. I mean, that, that is one of those rides that it's actually worth waiting three hours. If you've never been on that ride and you go, like three hours, it's worth it. It's worth it. And so the quantity of that waiting is worth the quality of what you're waiting for. Or to use another example, there is no way that I would ever wait 30 minutes for Chick-fil-A food. Like, no way. Not going to wait 30 minutes for Panera not going to wait 30 minutes for five guys. As much as I like that, I am not waiting because the quality of that food does not warrant the quantity of that amount of time. Now, if I go to a restaurant like V Mertz, I'll happily wait 30 minutes for my meal because the food that is coming to me will be magical. It'll be worth the waits. The quantity and the quality align. Now, this is not to say that at times we won't have to wait an inordinate amount of time for small things. That's part of growing in patience. But the point here is that quality things are worth waiting for. The more the quality, the greater the quality, the greater, in many ways, the quantity. Or to put it another way, the quantity is warranted when we are waiting for something quality. But here's the kicker for us. James says, until the Lord returns. Like, that's not something we have an exact timetable for. Like, we don't have an app that we can look at and see, okay, how much more time do we have until the Lord returns? We can't look and say, okay, we have, you know, 20 years or we have 10 days. Well, we can't peer into that and see an exact time. No, pe plenty of people had tried to predict that, and they all have looked like idiots because it's never come true. And so if you ever hear somebody predicting the Lord's return, here, I'll give you permission to do two things. Either ignore them or righteously laugh at them because they're fools. Like, no joke, they're fools. What did Jesus say? No one knows the, the day or the hour, not the angels, not even the Son, only the Father. Look, if Jesus doesn't know, in his humanity, he doesn't know when he's returning, 
No one here does either. So there's no way for us to sort of mark the time. We can't, we can't look and see a specific day or time. There's no sort of second coming countdown like we have for New Year's Day. However, what does Scripture tell us? Scripture does tell us to always be ready. Why? Because that day will come unexpectedly. That day is going to be a surprise. No one knows the day or the hour, but it will come, and it will come unexpectedly. And so for the Christian, we need to be ready. We need to be, have a posture of, being, of waiting and being ready for that when that day comes. But what about when James says the Lord's coming is near in verse 8? Like, how near is near? Well, here's one of the challenges. It's been nearly 2,000 years since James penned these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Was James mistaken about the nearness? Did James think it was just around the corner and, oops, 2,000 years later, here we are? No. No, James was not mistaken. He was not guessing and he ended up being wrong. So there's several things that we need to sort of keep in mind here when we talk about the Lord's coming. First, in 2 Peter 3, the Apostle Peter, he addresses those who mock the fact that the Lord has not yet returned. Those who will say, when, when is his coming that he promised? Everything's sort of continuing on as it always has. To this objection, Peter writes this, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So the first thing we need to recognize here is there is a sense of time that the Lord has that you and I don't. Like the Lord doesn't operate on the same timetable you and I do. He doesn't have the same sense of an internal clock. But, but also understand this, and this is what Peter's pointing out, the Lord isn't delayed. He hasn't broken his promise. He's not being held up. He didn't forget. No, he's purposely being patient. And this is good news. This is good news because the Lord is giving opportunity for the gospel to go forward and people to come, become Christians, people to become followers of Jesus. Because listen, when the Lord returns, that's it. That's it. No more opportunity. It's done. History is brought to a close. And so the Lord's patience is the Lord's kindness to allow others to come to repentance. And so the, uh, the Lord is operating on a different timetable than you and I maybe would. But here's the, the other thing, and this is probably even more directly related to what James is saying. When Scripture speaks of the Lord's return being near or soon, it's less about the exact time and more about certainty. Like, if you go to these passages that talk about nearness and soonness, the emphasis of those passages is not necessarily this exact time and day, but that it's going to happen. There's a certainty to it. Anthony Hukuma, in his book, The Bible in the Future, he gives us this great explanation of how the New Testament writers speak of the nearness of Christ's return. This is what he writes. For the New Testament writers, the nearness of the second coming is not so much a chronological nearness as a salvation history nearness. The first coming of Christ guarantees the certainty of his second coming. Because the return of Christ is so certain, it is in a sense always near. 
We already taste the powers, joys, and privileges of the end time, and hence we look forward eagerly to the completion of Christ's redemption. Having tasted the first fruits of the Spirit, we are all the more eager to enjoy what lies in store for us. The first coming and the second coming, therefore, lie closely together in the believer's consciousness. The first not only guarantees the second, but because the first has already come, the second is always near the believer's expectation. It's near because it's certain. That is what Scripture teaches us. There's always this sense we live with the nearness and the soonness because it is certain. We don't know the exact time when Jesus will return. If, if we did look at sort of a second coming app, what would it say? It would say soon. How soon? Soon enough. But ours is not to toil over the quantity of exactly how long we have to wait. Ours is to be ready because of the quality of what is going to happen and the certainty of what we are waiting for. Because we're waiting for Jesus to return. Friends, what we are waiting for is of infinite quality. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming back. And listen, this is not some like pie in the sky, sunshine and rainbow sentiment. Like this is not like those pictures of like the pudgy little angels descending and the harp music playing. No, that's not what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, it's going to rattle existence itself. It is a history-changing, reality-transforming event. When the Bible speaks of Jesus returning, it talks about Jesus coming in fire. When Jesus comes back, he is going to be the conquering king come, who comes to destroy the works of Satan and sin, and he rescues his people from their affliction. When Jesus comes back, he will be the righteous judge eternally punishing evil and those in rebellion against his goodness, his righteousness, his truth, and his holiness. When Jesus comes back, he's going to be that great husband coming for his bride who he loves and who he died for. When Jesus comes back, he's going to be the great physician bringing everlasting healing to our bodies, transforming our weak, frail, sin-cursed bodies into incorruptible, resurrection-glorified bodies. When Jesus comes back, he will be the eternal source of life, swallowing up death forever. When Jesus comes back, he's going to be the almighty creator God, renewing creation into the new heavens and the new earth, establishing his kingdom in righteousness and truth and goodness and beauty forever. When Jesus comes back, he is going to be our everlasting joy and delight as our king will dwell with us forever. This is our hope, church. This is the quality of what we're waiting for. And in light of that, James says, be patient. Because listen, how we wait is a reflection of the quality of what we wait for. Like if I'm sitting at a nice restaurant and I'm waiting for my food and I start complaining about how long it takes, what am I saying? The quality isn't worth the wait. I'm minimizing the quality of what I'm waiting for. Like if I'm angry and angsty, I'm saying this food isn't worth it. But when I appropriately honor the quality of what I'm waiting for, I wait in patience. Friends, when we walk around angry and angsty about life, we're saying it's not worth the wait. It's not worth the wait. The quality of Jesus returning is not worth the wait. 
James pushes on that for us. He says, we patiently endure because Jesus is coming back. Now, it's likely James is writing to a group of Christians who are facing persecution. They're facing hardship, they're facing trial, difficulties, and listen, these things will wear you down. We know this. They wear us down. But in the midst of that, James encourages them, in light of the Lord's return, be patient. Don't be ruled by that angst and that anger and that fear. Rather, be like a wise farmer. Be like a wise farmer. In verses 7 and 8, James writes, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Listen, a wise farmer is patient. He knows he has to wait for the early rains and the late rains if the crop is going to fully grow. So he's patient with the rain. He knows he can't rush the crop because quality things take time. But a wise farmer, as James also points out, is confident. He's confident. He knows how seeds and soil and farming work. He trusts the natural processes. Like This doesn't mean that there isn't going to be hardship and difficulties and unexpected occurrences, but he knows the crop is going to come. And so James says, have the confidence of a farmer. Strengthen your hearts. Be patient or have a patient confidence, a patient strength as you wait. And James calls us, church, to be the same way. Be patient, but be patiently confident. Strengthen your hearts. Live in the light of the Lord's coming. Live by the truth that he is returning. And as you do so, be strengthened. Be strong. Stand firm. Yes, pain is real. Yes, suffering is real. Hardships are real. And even more and more persecution is real. But the greater truth is this, church. Jesus is coming back. Greater than the pain, greater than the hardship, greater than the suffering, greater than the persecution. Jesus is coming back. And just as the farmer is patiently confident, we have every reason to strengthen our hearts and be patiently confident. And so that's the question. Are you patiently enduring? Are you patiently enduring? Are you strengthening your heart? Or do you live unsettled? Do you live with anger and angst and fear? Do, do you have this sense that everything is, is going to fall apart at a moment's notice? Well, friend, if that's you, could it be that you aren't living in the good and in the light of Christ's return? Could it be that the return of Jesus is not prominent in your mind and in your heart? And listen, we rightfully, regularly rehearse Jesus coming the first time, his life, death, and resurrection. Like, rightfully, we celebrate that, we teach that, we champion that, we worship, we, we are shaped in that, we are discipled in that, like, all of that is important. But friends, listen, the gospel doesn't stop with the first coming of Jesus. The gospel is also Jesus is coming back. So let's not shrink the gospel. Let's not shrink the message that Jesus has come and Jesus is coming. Jesus came and in his life, death, resurrection, he defeated sin, Satan, and death. And when he comes, he's going to finish what he started. And so friends, we don't shrink the gospel. Rather, we live in the good of the whole gospel. 
God's word holds out to us the truth of Christ's return. And when we walk in that, we can walk in strength, in settledness, in firmness, in patience. In addition to saying strengthen your hearts, James also tells us do not complain. Verse 9, he says, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. And so suffering and pain and hardship, like, like that has a way of rubbing us raw, right? And when we're, we're sort of in that raw state, it's easy for us to get short with people. It's easy for us to complain. It's easy for us to get into conflicts and to, and to start getting into sort of infighting and even maybe even gossiping. Like there's a way in which hardship and persecution and challenge sort of can stir up the church community in such a way where rather than loving and serving one another, we're now turning on one another. And so James's concern here for these Christians that were suffering is don't turn on one another. In light of the Lord's coming, don't complain, don't grumble, don't use your words in a a way to to stir up division. And this, this, this... reality of Christ's coming, there's two ways to look at this. One, there's sort of the implied aspect here that when Jesus comes, hey, he's going to sort all the problems. He's going to resolve all the conflict so we can have hope. But the other one, where James puts a point on this, is 